0: y'all. Like, uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. Get my little stool here so I don't break it. If you got your Bible, turned to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts, chapter 9. Nobody have a outline? Let me wave them, let me see them again. How many of you can read? I'm worried about my nephew up here, whether he can... I'll give you a little relief if you look at it, how many points are on it? We did this last week. How many were not here last week? Let us pause and pray for these filthy, <laughs> rotten. How many points are on the outline? And you're thinking, That's way <laughs> too many for this clown to get through. And you're right. So we're going to probably do, we did one last week. I was proud of myself. But it was an important one. That's the reason I spent so much time on it. Today we're going to do one, probably. And then next week, we will rapidly finish. You know how God has a way of humbling you and teaching you things? And So this week, I'm playing golf. With, by the way, that is what we'll be doing in heaven, for those of you that don't know that. We'll be playing golf at Pebble Beach, and I'll actually be good. As good is a relative term. I heard a preacher this morning that I love, I was listening to, I'll get back to my story in a minute. I was listening to this guy that I greatly admire on AM640. I know most of you don't even realize there is a radio, much less AM radio, but... AM 640 had some tremendous Bible teachers on it, and this guy's named Ravi Zacharias, and he was telling a story about what it, the usage of words and what they mean. For example, I can say, I love golf. You kind of understand. And then you, I can also say, I love my wife, and, and it, it's two different messages there. I love God, th- that way the words used. So he was talking about the word good, and someone said, so Ravi, are you a tennis player? And he said, yes, I play tennis. Are you a good tennis player? Yes, I am. And the guy sitting next to him on the airplane said, what is your name? It's Andre Agassi. He said, are you a tennis player? He said, yes, I am. He said, are you a good tennis player? He said, well, I, I think so. And there's a difference. Robbie Zacharias might be good until he played Andre Agassi, and then he would realize, oh no, I stink. That's kind of the way it is. I play golf with people that are much worse than me, so that I think I'm good. So... I'm I'm playing the other day and I'm not and one of the guys. I was better than one of them was better than me, so I was kind of in between. Anyway, we're getting through and we drive. We're at Quail Ridge and on the ninth hole at Quail Ridge, they have these two massive bunkers, sand bunkers by the green. So I managed to miss the bunkers. I hit the tee box on number one and a couple of guys over there teeing off. And I went over there and took my abuse. But that's where my ball landed. I wasn't in the bunker. So we finished the hole and we're leaving. And my wife pulled up to let me know how she had to visit a doctor. Just, she happened to pull up right when we are finishing number nine, so she had two of our granddaughters with us, so they could see me playing golf. So I thought, well, this is exciting. They'll really be thrilled that they got to see Grandy playing golf. So I walk up to the van, I stick my head in, and I say, hey, Emerson May, and hey, Ella. And Ella will be six in July, and she's going on 13. So she says, Grandy, were you playing in the sandbox? <laughs> I said, no, that was Mr. Jerry that was playing in the sandbox. I thought that's great, I'm playing in the sandbox, so. Take your outline and look at the top of it. We're talking about meeting life. And I'll give you the top. Last week we dealt with number one. It says Paul met Jesus. Those of you weren't here last week, and so you'll have it if you want it. Paul met Jesus. He was on the way to persecute believers and followers of the way, later to be called Christians. His whole life was wrapped up in persecuting these people. And on the way to persecute them, he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he is miraculously saved and, and changed and becomes one of these followers of the way. And he's on his, on his way to persecute. He leaves on his way to preach. And you notice the verse at the top of the outline, 1 John five eleven, The Apostle John writes, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son of God does not have life. One of the things we were talking about last week, and this this whole idea, this genesis of this series, have you met life? Is I was studying the life of the Apostle Paul. And he met Jesus Christ and he was miraculously changed. Because we're going to see both this week and then next week as we look at what happens to him after that, it was very difficult at times. And the one thing he needed, we talked about this briefly last week, the one thing he needed. After he met Jesus and he became a follower, he needed somebody to believe in him. Now, Understand, it would be hard if you were a follower of the way, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, and suddenly you're expected to accept into your midst and to wrap your arms around and to love this guy who had been your number one enemy. He had been sent to your town, Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute you. Possibly, if, if at all possible, he had authority and he had letters to put you in chains, drag, as a, if you were Jewish, drag you back to Jerusalem, put you on trial, and probably imprison you and in some cases have you executed. That's what he did. You look there at Acts chapter 9 verse 1, just Acts chapter 9 verse 1, says Saul of Tarsus still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. That's what we were dealing with last week. He goes to the high priest, he gets these letters of authority, he is breathing, emanating, it's flowing from his pores of his body, threats and murder against people who follow Jesus Christ's disciples. And before we get to verse 10, he is one of them. So now... He's expected to go to the disciples that he was coming to imprison and murder, if possible, and for them to say, ah, come on in, hang out with us. We're having a dinner tonight, and you're invited, and let's hang out together. Do you play golf? Let's spend time together. The natural response would be, "Uh, no. Not only no, but we're running from this guy. We're high. There's no way. This, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. What he needed was somebody to step up and say, I believe. We're going to see next week he met an incredible guy. But I want us to look today at a simple follower of Jesus Christ named Ananias. And that's number two on your outline. After Paul met Jesus, he met this guy named Ananias. You see three things there about him. We're going to look at those briefly today. And then we're going to think about what it might, how it might relate to us. So let's start in verse 10 of chapter 9. Understanding Paul has been saved, he's been blinded, he can't see, he's having to be led around by the hand and he's taken into Damascus. Remember, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute these people and now he's going into that town as a blind, helpless convert to Jesus Christ. Verse 10, chapter 9 of Acts. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Notice he's a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. Then he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. The first thing I want you to notice about Ananias is that he is available to God. He is available to God. Now, prior to reading Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, do we know anything about this guy, this particular guy, Ananias, at Damascus in Syria? The answer is no. He's simply another one of those who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's a follower of him. What we noticed last week is that Paul had been in Jerusalem persecuting believers, and he went to the high priest and he said, I need some letters of authority, I want to go to Damascus, because there's a group down there. Probably about 20,000 Jews had settled in Damascus. And apparently, when the believers were persecuted and scattered, many of them or a a certain number went to Damascus, and they were leading Jews to faith in Jesus Christ. They were becoming followers of the way. And it just aided Paul as a Pharisee and as this persecutor. He couldn't stand it. He said, I need authority. I want to go to Damascus. And every place I find one of these followers, I'm putting them in chains. I'm bringing them back. We're going to put them on trial. We're going to we're going to handle this. We're we're stopping this. It's about 120 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. Paul was on his way, and all along the way, interesting play on words. All along the way, he's looking to imprison, do anything he can to these followers of the way, and he meets the way Jesus Christ, and he's completely changed. Well, Ananias is just one of these simple followers of Christ. Here's the one thing I want to encourage you about today before we move on. Ananias was available to God. Notice he says, here I am, Lord. I'm I'm your man. Sometimes you may think about yourself. It's no big deal. I'm a Christian. I live my life. I just kind of rock. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how our life can change as a believer going through life and maturing. But Ananias was simply available to God. He was a follower. He was born again. He wanted to be used of God just a simple guy but he was available you are important to the kingdom if you're born again God saved you to use you and you are important Ananias never would have thought himself important but he also never knew what was about to happen in his life he simply said okay Lord here I am I'm available I love the picture who is Ananias in relation to Saul of Tarsus at this point? If you said to Ananias, who is Saul of Tarsus prior to his conversation with the Lord here? Uh, Ananias, who is Saul of Tarsus? What would have been his response? He is my number one enemy. He is all of our number one enemy. He is the one guy you don't want to cross. You don't want to mess with. He's the dude who could put you behind bars or have you executed. They were terrified in a literal physical sense, Saul of Tarsus was the executioner. He was the guy, when you got the note from him, it was like, uh-oh. So when you called into a certain person's office at work, you realize, I don't want to talk to this guy. When I was in the greeting card business, my boss lived here in town, and one day I got a phone call from his boss, who lived in Dallas, Texas, in, in uh, Carrollton, Texas, actually, or not far from, we went to Irving, which the Cowboys were, so it was kind of cool. I'd never thought, I'd worked for them for five years, I'd never taught to this guy, and he called me. Of course, back then you did have cell phones. He's called me at home, and I'm thinking, "Uh-oh, what have I done?" I hadn't even answered the phone call yet. Mary just said that so-and-so's on the phone. I knew the name. I'd met him at a national sales conference, but I dealt with my boss. I didn't deal with the regional guy. I dealt with the district manager, my boss, in Memphis. I'd never, even other than a meeting, I'd never talked to this guy. And I'm thinking, well, I'll be looking for work. Why in the world would he be calling me? And it was, fortunately, it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. I didn't know that. All I knew was a name. You go to Ananias and say, by the way, Saul of Tarsus would like to see you. No, not a good thing. Not a good thing. So he says, here I am, Lord. I love this picture. As a disciple of the Lord, we see this right here, he would have been one of Saul's primary targets. Saul was coming to get him. That's why he was coming to Damascus, was to get people like Ananias. So he says, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord. Look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, I want you to arise. I want you to go to the street called Straight. And I want you to inquire at the house of Judas. So far, so good, right? Just go to Judas' house and ask for Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Two great things jump out at you from that verse. I want you to go to the house and ask for Saul of Tarsus. If you're Ananias, what are you thinking? God, have you lost your mind? Saul of Tarsus? But I want you to notice it's a great picture here. What is Saul of Tarsus doing according to the Lord as he speaks to Ananias? He is praying. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, said, quote, Prayer is the autograph of the Holy Spirit on the renewed heart. Pardon this play on words. But Saul of Tarsus came to Damascus to pray, P-R-E-Y. And he got there, and all he could do was pray, P-R-A-Y. You see, his life had been changed, but also he's blind. He hadn't eaten in three days. He hadn't drunk in three days. He's physically in need. He's spiritually in need. And all he knows to do now is, Lord, help me. You know what the one cry, that's the most important cry any human being can ever make on this planet Earth? The thief on the cross said it, and so did you when you got saved. Lord, have mercy on me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Saul of Tarsus, all he can do now is pray. And God is letting know, I'm going to send somebody named Ananias to you. He's coming to you, and now God's saying, Ananias, I want you to go. He's available. I want you to go. Interesting, God doesn't tell Ananias at first all the details. I just want you to go. Now look at verse 12. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. The irony of this is the guy that was Saul of Tarsus was coming, one of the people he was coming to imprison, is going to be the guy, that the instrument through whom God allows him to receive his sight. God is teaching Saul some things. Number one, I am God. Remember when he blinded him on the road to Damascus, what did Jesus say to him there? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? me. The encouragement that came out of that for us as believers is that when you are persecuted, Jesus takes it personally. Even today, he told us, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me first. It comes with the territory. You wear